0: The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 62. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see her righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by the new name that the the new mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the land of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of God. You shall no more be turned forsaken and your land shall not be deemed desolate. But you shall be called in her delight and your land married for the the Lord delights in you. And your land shall be married for as long as man marries a young woman. So shall your sons marry you and as the bridegroom rejoices over you. This is the word of the God, of God. The psalmody for today is taken from the 128th Psalm. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the hand, labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it shall be with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see prophecy of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brother, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one who can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who appoints to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. The Gospel reading is from John, the second chapter. there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some, of, some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now it become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn it knew the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone seeks the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Canaan in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the gospel of the Lord.
1: Honda Civic off to your left shoulder. It's the car that's parked closest to the church right there. I'm waving at you. Can you see me? Right here. Good morning, everybody. Hey, this is kind of weird. Can say in my lifetime, I have never done this before. So everybody who was online and was like trying to text me right now, if I didn't answer, it's because I'm actually on Zoom and I don't want to mess this up. And the reason why I'm sitting in the car this morning is because uh, my wife, Nanette has tested positive with COVID and um, she's not feeling well. And since I've been around her, we're keeping it to ourselves. We're going to do our part to keep people safe. And we've been doing that now for almost two years. If you don't feel well, you stay home. And if you're around someone who hasn't felt well, you just stay home. And otherwise come to church, worship and do so with joy. Um, Anyway, been looking forward to this sermon now for now a couple of weeks, and when the finally of the day comes, I don't get to be in your presence amongst you and stand with you and and worship with you and share it. But um, part of the reason for the 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 big ex- excited about today's message was just the context. I love this story, the story you just read about the wedding. I think in John's Gospel, it's one of my top three or four stories. Um, it, it in just a moment, maybe you'll know why, because I'm going to share why it's so such a blessing for me. And and before we get there, first part. In the last couple of weeks, actually now three or four weeks, I've heard people around our church community and even in my in my world ask, um, "What's a Lutheran?" Right? They, if you say you go to, I go to a Lutheran church, or we go to a Lutheran church, and I'm I'm hearing people ask, "Well, what's a Lutheran?" And and I think in our community there's there's some images of what Lutheran is, so they ask us, "Well, what is it?" Are you, and so. If, you, if I was to ask you today, um, what is a Lutheran, uh, how, would you, how would you think of an answer? I mean, would you kind of make reference that you're kind of like Roman Catholics? Would you make reference that you're kind of enthusiastic like Baptists? I mean, well, how would you answer someone that says, well, what are you? What's, what's unique or special about being a, a Lutheran Christian? And um, how do you respond? And here's something to think about, that we have the answer, it's given to us, and it's beautiful. It's got five parts. First part is Jesus, right? Christ. Second part is grace. Third part, faith. Fourth part, word. Fifth part is glory. What I mean by that is that we're saved by Christ, we're saved by grace. It's through faith. God's word is our source of his voice, his authority, his truth. And all of this is for his glory. That's our answer. It's pretty easy. And we we could say that there have been some in history that preceded us who focused on that they had to work for their salvation. And in fact, Luther did his work because he inspired that we never work for our salvation. We can't pay for it. The church at that time was selling forgiveness and salvation for the dead and the living. We don't do that. We're also not a, a congregation. We're not a, a group of believers that that focuses on a believer's decision that we get smart enough that we can finally grasp God's goodness, God's grace, God's salvation. No, for us, it's a gift and it's top down. And all we do is believe it to be true and live a life of gratitude. Lutheran. That's what we are. Christ, grace, faith, God's word for his glory. Now, with that said, it's going to be played out in the in the in the gospel lesson that we just read this morning. And before we get there, these are some of the parts we're going to have to remember what a wedding for the Jewish people was like at that time. And then we're also going to consider the the communities for which this story took place. So think of a Jewish wedding, it's, and we have to go there. It would start off with a say a young, a young man. He he discovers the woman of his that he feels that he he wants to be, spend the rest of his life with, right? woman he wishes to marry and then he tells his father his father then would consider it find the this possible bride's father and they would have a conversation eventually becomes a formal conversation where the young man's included in there and in there they make the negotiation between this family and that family the groom and the bride potential bride if they agree upon it if the two fathers agree upon it while the young man's there the father of the bride invites his daughter into the same room, and and she's introduced to her potential husband. And the groom asks the question, would you marry me? And if she sees him and she wants to be married to him, she would say yes. At that point, the young man would give her one of his best gifts he could give at this point, a very expensive a ring. He would put her on her finger. And with that, he would declare these words, Behold, you are consecrated to me with this ring according to the laws of Moses and Israel. And legally, at that point, they're married. Now, the groom will depart from that place. And but before he does, he promises his future, his wife, but soon to be wife, Uh, completely, he promises that he's going to prepare a place for her, that he's going to build a home for her, and he's going to prepare for this wedding celebration. And if you hear those words and you hear echoes of Jesus at other times, later in John's gospel where he tells his disciples that I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come and take you to that place, it's intentional. This wedding is a glimpse, it's a foretaste, it's a foreshadow of everything that Jesus is about in his plan for salvation. Um, so anyway, he makes a promise he'll come back. Often, and almost every time, it was about one year. Imagine that. He has to work for one year. That's about how long it takes, because they don't have a lot of resources. He's going to work for one year to build this house for her. Most of the time, it's a, an addition to his father's house. And he's going to work at least one year to save up the resources so they can have a feast to celebrate with all their community, their friends, and their family for seven days. When that's ready, and only when the Father says that the time has come, can the groom re- go get his bride. And you will have echoes of that in the Bible as well, because Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour, neither the Son nor the angels in heaven, only the Father. On these weddings, only the Father knew when he was going to tell his son that it was okay for him to go get his bride. Frequently, when they went to get their brides, they would do so in the evening. They would walk, they would get there, they do so in the evening. The groom had at least four guys with him. The four guys each held a pole, and on top of that pole, they held a corner of a four-piece can or a four-sided canopy. So as they walked, they, they provided shelter for the groom, and when they approached the bride's house, they would shout out, the groom is here, come on out. And she would come out in the nighttime. She had to be ready. So that's why the lamps were already ready. She would come out and she would leave her shelter under her family and now enter under the shelter of her husband or her husband, this groom. And then they would slowly walk and make their way to the groom's prepared house and the ceremony just before they um, have their intimate time and consummate the marriage there would be a public wedding ceremony, a brief ceremony, then they would go and have their moments of intimacy. From that point on, there would be seven days, again, of celebration. Family, friend, bridegrooms, of all those friends and family are there. For those six days of those seven, the bride and the groom are secluded. They're in their world, um, discovering each other, if you will. But on the last day of the celebration, on the seventh day, they come out, And the newlyweds join the party as newlyweds, the new Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so. That's a Jewish wedding. So much in there that is good for us to understand. Now, that said, the second part, the communities. Jesus and his family, we know that they were living in Nazareth. Friends, Nazareth at that time was only about 500 people. That's it. That's small town living. If you've never lived in a small town, it's kind of hard to imagine that. But you can just imagine just enough small houses that can accommodate about 500 people, and that's it. Cana was about, I think it's like four miles in a straight line, but about a nine mile walk. Cana is a lot smaller. Cana was somewhere between, somewhere near about 150, maybe 200 people. And that's it. So now think about that. In small towns like that, in the biblical times, and even now, generation after generation have lived sometimes even in the same house. They are born there, they've lived there, and they'll even die in that same house and in that same town. They didn't move around as much as we move, born and raised and lived sometimes in the same house. They knew each other's grandparents and great-grandparents. They know each other's mothers and fathers. They know each other. They've been living with each other, playing with each other. They, they work together. They survive together, not just neighbors. They depend on each other because when one gets sick, the others help, and when they get sick, the other help. And in this kind of a community, there are no lazy because if you don't work, you don't eat. You know what someone can do, and you expect that, but there's also grace because if they can't do work for some reason or another, you step in to help them. And in that world, Jesus lived. And in that world, Mary lived. And in that world, this wedding family lived. There's a great chance that Mary and Jesus knew this family getting married. Jesus probably knew her mother and her grandmother. I mean, Mary knew her grandmother and mother. Mary probably knows the bride. If she's been invited which is not a big deal if you're going from one small town to just another small town a short distance away. You know that town as well. They're your friends. They're your family as well through marriage. And so Mary knows them. Jesus probably knows them. And so it's not really a surprise that Mary and Jesus have been invited to this wedding in Cana. It's just that part of the world. Small towns sharing life together, sharing the joys of life together. In this case, the wedding. So now back to the young man. A young man has worked for a year, a year to prepare his home for his bride, a home that everyone in this small town will see. They'll walk by it every day that they walk. It will reflect both him and his family. It will either bring honor or dishonor to him and his family. It it contributes to the reputation of the family. This young man's work is all contributing to that world like that. And then the young man works an extra amount, right? You have to work enough to survive and just have enough food to eat. But now on top of that, to have food for a large group of people for seven days, one week of food and wine for his guests. His bride has now entered this place under his canopy of protection and provision. His guests are under his protection and provision now as well. And the celebration has begun and it's a sign and a symbol of his capability and his honor and his resources his keeping his word as a man that he will provide and bless and and take care of his his bride for his life now at this point in the wedding we're a couple of days in even into it we we there's a really good chance that the groom has been secluded with his bride they're in that room in that house and he's probably not aware that they're running low on supplies, especially running low on wine. He's oblivious to it. He's in a different place. Now, there's also a good chance that there's no one else or very few others in this wedding group that are aware that the supplies are getting low and the wine's running low. But Mary knows. She's seen something, she's learned of something. Maybe she's really close with the the mother of the bride, but somehow or another, she knows that the host family has failed to provide enough wine. And maybe it's not even their fault, right? Maybe it's just because more people showed up, or maybe they were just exceptionally thirsty. We don't know. But whatever the reason is, is they do not have enough provisions to complete the wedding ceremony. There's impending shame. There's impending humiliation. There's a failure on their part to provide, a failure on their part to be prepared. This is going to be exposed. They will be exposed to this error. Family shame, it is an omen of the future. Friends, everyone in that small town of 150 or so, and everyone in the nearby towns in Nazareth of about 500 people, everyone in those towns will know and remember this wedding's failure. For generations upon generations, the story will be told. Oh, do you remember that wedding when so-and-so ran out of wine? How horrible. In ways that we, we can't even comprehend, how horrible for this family. And Mary knows this. Mary, she knows it. And so she, she finds Jesus. And this is serious enough that she's going she's gonna to tell Jesus. And then she's going to tell the servants who are the ones bringing the wine out and bringing the food out and taking care of this party. She's going to tell them. She tells them, do whatever he tells you to do. And then Mary turns the emergency, this crisis, she turns it over to Jesus. There's a lot of lessons in that just alone for us, right? Our crisis, our emergencies in life, instead of trying to fret on our own, we just turn it over to Jesus. We turn the problems of our friends over to Jesus. Mary does that. She turns the crisis of this wedding over to Jesus. Jesus sees that there are six 20 to 30-gallon containers of water. That's a lot of water. If it's 30 gallons, that's 180 gallons. He's going to then miraculously turn that ordinary water into the finest wine ever known. What a miracle. It's a miracle in many ways. This wedding reveals, it reveals to us human limitations human failures, human bankruptcy, and in that wedding's revelation, it reveals the son of God's power to love and to rescue and to save. When humanity's best efforts fall short, Jesus saves, Jesus provides. There's a part in here that specifically teaches us from the groom's family. Sometimes we are and the lessons for us like this. Sometimes we're able to recognize God's intervention in our lives, right? Sometimes we can see it. We something happens in our lives, and and we're, we avoid an accident, we avoid some catastrophe, some something that bad could happen, and and somehow or another, we just know that God protected us, God blessed us, God saved us from that. And in the last months, I've been hearing over again how a number of years ago that with Emmanuel Lutheran Church. When they were having a time of need, that they, they would pray and that God would answer your prayers and, and things would just happen. There would be a building found to worship. There would be furniture for the worship found and delivered. There would be Bibles. There would be hymnals. There would be chairs that God just almost miraculously provides. Sometimes we're aware of that. Like the groom's family in this miracle, were aware that they had a need and that God and Jesus provided. And that maybe on days like today that we can join them and we can consider how many times that God has rescued us from the consequences of of bad decisions so that God has provided for us as an answer to our prayer. And we can give him thanks. But maybe we could be like the groom in this story as well, the bride and the groom. Sometimes there's a good chance that we don't recognize and realize that God is intervening in our life. And it doesn't matter, because he does so anyway. In this story, the groom had no idea that his preparations and his work were insufficient and were, were catastrophically a failure. He doesn't have to know. Jesus fixed it. Jesus came to his rescue. Jesus redeemed him in his wedding and his bride and his reputation. Sometimes we don't know when God acts. So he just live lives of gratitude. There's another part to the teaching part of this as we get close to the end of this now. This wedding, for us, it's it's a foreshadow of God's Son, this groom Jesus, with us, the church, as his bride. That he has gone to prepare a place for us. And his place is blessed by the Father, and he will come when the Father says, that he will provide a canopy over us. We will not be struck down by the moon or we will be shaded by the day and nothing when we are near him as his bride will ever take us away from him. His love is eternal, it is powerful and it is all we'll ever need. And the celebration in heaven, like this wine, it is the most extravagant ever given. But this wine just isn't about the celebration though. This wine is also about the new covenant of his blood. He established on the cross take this cup as the blood of the new covenant this bible lesson touches so many threads in this tapestry of faith that we have as christians and today the first sunday of epiphany our first sunday after the epiphany we get to remember it we get to remember it as a family and we get to celebrate god's festive wedding feast as a family Solos of the Reformation. Christ, grace, faith, word, glory. Jesus, our Christ, he enters a shameful event and he he comes to us. Grace, Jesus is Christ. He displays God's powerful gift of grace and and he saves. Faith, in this story, Mary has faith. The servants have faith. They take action. They do what Jesus says. And behold, the wedding feast is blessed the word in this story jesus the son of god the living word of god he speaks and a miracle happens in the glory the glory goes to god the love of god displayed the power of god displayed the goodness of god displayed the blessing the salvation of god displayed this whole wedding represents the solas christ grace faith word glory today we remember the epiphany of God in this world. Friends, if we have nothing but this story between now and Easter, we're okay. We could focus on this story and the blessings of this story and the epiphany of what God's revealed in this story all the way through the good the Good Friday, the Holy Week, and Easter. We will have more. But as we go through these next weeks and continue on with all that we get to remember. Please hold this story dear and near to our hearts. Christ, grace, faith, word, glory. That we will be a church that remembers, a church that shares this good news, and a church that celebrates the coming of our King, our Groom, our Lord and Savior Jesus. Until then, God be
0: with you the profession of faith the nicene creed i believe in one god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible in one lord jesus christ the only begotten son of god begotten of his father before all worlds god of god light of light very god of very god begotten not made being of one substance with the father who by whom all things were made who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. On the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdoms will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy, Christian, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The Benediction The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.